0: You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at bccfarmacity.org. Well, praise God. Welcome to church this morning. We are going to start a new series this morning. Well, good morning, church. Um, if you brought your Bibles this morning, we're going to open to Romans chapter eight. We're going to continue in the series we have started. We are looking at what the Bible says about being led by the Holy Spirit, how He wants to lead us and guide us in this life, how we must needs be led by Him in the days that are ahead, and in the time and see. It's always been important, but it sure seems like it's getting even more important the closer we get to the end of this age. And one thing I said from the get go is we want to make sure the things we believe are scriptural. But in order to make sure that what we believe is scriptural, what do we need? We need scripture. For any belief that we hold, we should be able to point to something in scripture that tells us, well, here's why I believe that. If, if I can't do that, then I cannot honestly say my belief is scriptural if I don't have scripture. It's kind of why I hesitated with the angels. I think that's right, but uh, if I can't point to scripture, then I can't stand real strong on that. And so I, as I was being honest, but if we need, or not if, we need scripture to support what we believe. And so that's what we're trying to do in this series. So let me do a very brief review to kind of connect with last week and pick up where we're going in Romans eight fourteen, it says for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God these are the adult sons the ones who have grown up and taken their place in the kingdom we have a divine guide living on the inside of us through the person of the Holy Spirit and we both can and to be honest we should be aware of him Aware of him on the inside of us. Aware of him as he leads and guides us. We should expect, not just hope and wish, we should expect to be led by him. Now that does separate us from some of the church, the body of Christ as a whole. Because there are many Christians in the earth today who simply do not believe you can be led by God. They do not believe man is capable. That, that we're just going to have to wander through life and trust that we make it out the other side. that that we're just not capable. Well, I don't believe that to be a scriptural belief because it disagrees with a whole lot of scripture that I see. There's another camp that believes that, yes, God does lead you, but he leads you entirely through circumstances. That all the things that happen in your life, whether good or bad, ultimately are God pushing you in whatever direction he wants you to go. And that you really have no conscious decision to make. You really have no choice in the matter. You're just going to go where he directs you and uh I don't really go with that one either and for that one we actually looked at a verse in Psalm 32 verse 8 this is God speaking I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go so we're actually talking about before you go before you go down that path he's got something to say to you he's going to instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go when he's done instructing you and teaching you he says I will guide you with my eye another translation says i will keep my eye on you but he's going to watch where you're going but then verse 9 he says do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding which must be must be harnessed with bit and bridle else they will not come near you he says don't be like that don't be like an animal that you have to herd and force to go a certain direction because they don't really understand what you want they have no understanding He says, don't be like that. Of course, the implication is, a lot of us can be like that. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we've probably been like that. But what's he saying? Don't do that. Don't be like that. So what should we do? Have understanding. Understand what he's trying to teach us and instruct us and where he's guiding us to go and then go that very direction. So, so I don't go with this idea that God's using circumstances to guide us. So then how is he um guiding his people? Well, first thing we looked at was how did he guide under the Old Testament? Under the Old Covenant, how did he guide his people? Well, we actually see the answer in Hebrews 1 1. It says God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So, under the Old Covenant, how did God lead His people? He spoke to them. He would speak to and through the prophets to the people. So, He wasn't using circumstances, and it wasn't vague and unclear. He spoke to them. He would speak to and through them by the prophets. Okay, so there's the Old Covenant. What's going on in the New Covenant? We're not living under the Old Covenant. We're not the Old Testament church. We are the New Testament church. So what's going on? We'll go to the next verse. But verse 2, God has in these last days, and I talked about that last week, those are prophetic words talking about the church age. That's that's the simplest way to say it. The last days are the days between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. So how is God speaking in the last days? He says He has spoken to us by His Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So in the old covenant he spoke through the prophets. In the last days he's speaking to us through his Son. Now, some Christians then and many pastors and preachers I've heard say that He speaks to us through Jesus, through the vehicle of your Bible. He speaks to you only through the Scriptures. And by no other means does he speak to you. I disagreed with that. But I do want to be clear. I don't know how clear I was last week. And so I want to make sure I'm clear this morning because there is a tendency, and I think it's human nature, there's a tendency to overcorrect. Have you ever noticed that with maybe a young driver learning to drive a car? Maybe an old driver, I don't know. But you're driving down the road, you're supposed to be staying between the dotted line and the solid line, supposed to be in your lane. And sometimes maybe you, you hear the rumble strips, or maybe it's the gravel, maybe it's the ditch, you're getting off on the wrong direction, getting too far one way. And so there's a tendency then to what? Overcorrect. And yank that wheel hard, and then what tends to happen? You're over the road, now you're in the other ditch, because you've overcorrected. And really the best way to get back up of that ditch is nice and easy. Just kind of bring it back up and get back up in your lane, right? And I've seen that his, through history in the church. When the church would maybe get too far one direction with a doctrine, in their attempt to correct, they would overcorrect and go too far the other way. And I want to be careful not to do that here. And I, I was really wondering if I made that clear last week. When I hear the statement, the only way God speaks is through the pages of Scripture, I disagree, but only with one word. If you'll just take that word only out of there, I am in complete agreement. Let me take it out. Uh, God speaks through the pages of Scripture. Yes, He does. Absolutely, He does. In fact, can I add a word? He will primarily speak to you. Through the pages of scripture. It's one of the main ways he will speak to you. And I don't, that's where I don't feel I made that clear enough last week, so I want to get that in before I really get rolling this morning. It is one of the main ways. And completely, I mean, not part of my message preparation. This sermon is ready to go, and this morning I'm finishing a book I've been reading, and he makes a comment. I think I've got it here, because it's in my Kindle. <laughs> so it's right here. He said this, A believer's relationship with the Word determines his or her relationship with the Father, which determines the believer's faith level, which will then determine how well you're led by Him. But it all starts with the Word. So I wanted to be very careful then last week. I'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Absolutely, one of the primary ways he will speak to you is when you're in his word and you're reading his scripture and there's a lot of things he said in there that we need to hear. And that foundation will then build to everything else. The only word I disagreed with was only. That's not the only way he will speak to you. It might be the primary, but it's not the only. Is that more clear? hopefully better than what I laid out last week, (laughs) because I'm I'm not trying to overcorrect. He absolutely will speak to you through the Word, and it is vitally important you spend time there, because if you don't spend time there, then you won't have a solid relationship with your Father. Does that make sense? So anyway, how does He then speak to us? Through the pages of the Word, but it's again, through the vehicle, if I can say it that way. I hope that's not... A bad way to say through the vehicle of the Holy Spirit. He's the he. I don't know if I can call him a vehicle. <laughs> By the means of the Holy Spirit. John sixteen thirteen, Jesus said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, one of the main ways he will do that is he will enlighten you as you read scripture. And he will help you see things. And he will speak to you through the pages of your Bible. Absolutely. But that's not the only way. That's where I'm going. Uh, he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. It's not so much after something big happened in your life, and then he tells you after the fact, oh, by the way, here's what I was up to. I'm not saying that can't happen, but that's not what this verse said. It said he will tell you things to come before they get here. That's part of God instructing you and guiding you in the way you should go. He's going to reveal things to you ahead of time. Now, he probably won't tell you everything, but he'll tell you what you need to know to be able to obey him. Now, he'll never never tell you everything. Why? Because he always requires faith. There will always be an element of, I just trust him. And I'm going to do it because he told me to or he led me to or because he asked me to. And I just trust him. But he'll also give you pieces of it to prepare you. Can I say it this way? He will always set you up to win. He'll always give you everything you need to be successful. It may not always be everything you want. I don't know about you. I'm one of those people that I'd love to see every piece of the puzzle from beginning to end with every step in between before I take step one. I love it when it works that way. With God, that's not often. He doesn't work that way. He'll give you a step, sometimes just the first step. And when you take that one, then he'll give you the next one. He requires we trust him, but he will always give you everything you do need to be successful. He will always set you up to win. So I wanted to give some examples this morning then in the New Testament. Examples of what it looks like to be led by him. Pictures from the New Testament church, because that's what we are. We're a New Testament church. This age has not ended yet. And so we still look like, should look like, and it's my heart's desire to look more and more like the church we see in Scripture. That should be us. So for my first example, I'm going to go to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to look at Philip, the evangelist, and I'm going to pause just for a moment And let you remind you that there's more than one Philip in the Bible. There is Philip, the the disciple. One of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus was a dude named Philip. Went on to be the Apostle Philip. Okay? That's not who this is. This is a different Philip. He's Philip the Evangelist. And you might think, why are you pointing that out? Because there is a belief held by some that all the things you see in the book of Acts and all the things that God was doing in the book of Acts was only done by those twelve apostles and only them and nobody else and when those twelve apostles died it all ended and you don't see that anymore I don't know how widely held that belief is but it's inconsistent um, this Philip right here was not an apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve. And yet, look what God was doing through him. And then likewise, if you start digging into the records of church history, start reading what historians write in first, second, third centuries, all the things you read in the book of Acts continued. All the signs, all the wonders, all the miracles, all those people speaking in tongues, all that's in the history books. It continued and did not even begin to slow down Until the Dark Ages. When did that begin to wane? When they pulled the Bibles out of the hands of the people and said, you're not smart enough to read a Bible. In fact, we're making it illegal for you to even own a Bible. And they took the Bible out of the hands of the people. That's when things started to slow down. But all the way through the first almost 400 years? Yeah, it's the book of Acts nonstop. All of that was there. So anyway, I'm just taking a moment to point that out. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. We would probably lose a lot of Christians right there. They believe that that happened, but they don't expect anything like that to happen today. Now, pause Now, if you ask them, do you believe in angels, they would say, oh, yeah. They might even have a story because most Christians believe wholeheartedly, I had an angel save my life one time. Anyone got a story like that? Seriously? I see several hands. I got, I got a... One for sure when I was a young man that I don't want to tell because I always, I never come off looking good. (laughs) Angel saved me. (laughs) right, It's not a proud story on my part. Uh Uh-uh. And uh, and then there's several in my life where I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was an angel there that helped me, guided me, kept my car from going that direction and did this and I'm pretty sure if we could, I always, I have this hope. I don't have a scripture for this. I have this hope that when we get to heaven, that we can maybe go to a library in heaven and watch the videotape, as it were, of my life, and go back to those instances and see, oh yeah, there's that angel. Yep, he pushed on the hood right there and kept me from hitting the whatever, or you know, because I don't know how in the world it happened. I I bet you we all have stories like that, and I'm hoping we get to go back and see. There is a chance we won't care. I don't know, but... I'm thinking right now, I'd really like to see that because I'm curious. And I think a lot of Christians are that way. But if you try to tell a lot of Christians today, yeah, an angel showed up and delivered a message to me from God, they're going to shut you off. Now, have I ever had an angel speak to me? No. I want to say, not yet. But I don't know. I'm not looking for angels. I'm not asking for angels to come speak to me. But if one showed up and it lined up with Scripture, do I have Bible verses to support that God can send an angel to help you out? Can God send an angel to deliver a message to you? Yeah, I got Scripture to support that. Um, And not just New Testament. Have you read the Old Testament? Angels have been very active in the lives of human beings in this earth. It just... Not in my notes, but right off the top of my head. I go back to the prophet. Was I get him turned around sometime. It was either Elijah or Elisha, but it was one of the two that uh, said, Open the eyes of my servant and let him see. And the Lord opened his eyes into the realm of the Spirit, and he saw not a couple, thousands of angels just kind of surrounding where they were. He's like, oh, you know. we just We don't think about that much. But they're very active. Very active. So anyway, could it happen? I'm not saying it would be an everyday thing. might be a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. A lot of Christians go their whole life and never have that. But if our Heavenly Father would choose to do that, it's very scriptural. So I'm not going to discount it. Are you with me? So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. She, uh, is it a, he she, he was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. This one's a little more likely. So what happened? Well... Um, Philip the evangelist was sitting there reading his Bible and he came across a verse back in the Psalms that said, go, run fast and overtake this chariot. Is that that what happened? No. What did it say? The Spirit spoke. He said to Philip. And the direction was not generic. It was very specific. In fact, what was it? It was specific direction. To Philip, in that moment, right now, in this moment, you, go do this now. Because I don't think it would have worked out if Philip would have said, Now, Lord, is that you? Go catch that chariot. Now, I need to make sure it's you. I think I'm going to take an hour and just spend an extra hour in prayer to make sure I'm hearing you right. Uh, Probably never would have caught the chariot. Because now he's got an hour head start. Not going to happen. But then I also understand um, that's not necessarily instruction now for the entire church, the whole body of Christ. We are not all reading this verse and saying, okay, I need a chariot overtaking ministry. I need to go catch the chariots. Why do I not need that? don't have a lot of chariots today. None to catch. So what's going on in this moment? The Holy Spirit is giving Philip specific direction for that moment to accomplish what the Lord wants done are you seeing it it's not general it's specific there are moments for all of us where we get to a point where we need specific direction about something and it's available are you with me Hmm. so then do you remember what the, the rest of the event was I'm, I'm not going to read it but do you remember how that story ended then So he caught up with him and said, what you doing? He said, well, I'm reading this book of Isaiah. And he says, do you understand when you're reading? And he said, no, not even a little bit. How am I ever going to understand this unless someone explain it to me? And Philip says, move over. I don't know if he said that, but he said, can I hop in the chariot with you? And they opened up the scriptures and he preached Jesus to him out of the book of Isaiah. He's all through the book of Isaiah. And the guy said, I believe. And he got born again right there in that chariot. And that's when he looked out and he said, well, if I've been saved, what's stopping me from getting baptized in water? And I'm Philip's thinking, the only thing stopping us is we need some water. (laughs) And they looked out and I don't know if it was there all along or if miracle, I don't know, but hey, there's water. And so they said, stop the chariot. And they got out. And I'm not quite sure how this played out, but it sure looks to me when I read it that he said, in the name of the Father or Son, or whatever he said, and he put that guy down in the water, and as he's coming back up out of the water, God just took Philip, translated him somewhere else. Because when he came up out of the water, he's like, where'd you go? And to his perception from what we see, because there's not much more about him in the Bible, he never saw Philip again the rest of his life. I'm assuming he hunted him down in heaven. <laughs> you! <laughs> what happened? Because he said God just took him. Off he went. Oh, I could have fun with that. I will not. Anyway, that whole event, supernatural in nature. Are you seeing that? But where did it start? A little command on the inside. Hey, go catch that chariot. Stop it. And a very quick obedience to that on the inside. Okay, if we jump a couple chapters, let's go to Acts chapter 10. This is a kind of an important account um, and one that we sometimes gloss over. In Acts chapter 10, we're reading about Peter. A little bit of the timeline. He had gone down to Joppa. He had been called down there to pray for a woman named Tabitha. Um, God moved mightily in their behalf. After that, he goes up and he's hanging out at the house of a friend, um, Simon the Tanner. And if you remember, um, he was hungry. It was time to eat. But instead, he was up on the roof just spending some extra time in prayer. Um, I don't know. Maybe food was taken along that day. I don't know. But he's up there in prayer before the Lord, and that's when he had the vision. Um, I believe it was three times in a row with the sheet and the 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 unclean animals on the sheet that got lowered down and the voice of the Lord said to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he's like, no, Lord. Those are unclean animals and they have never... And He's he's, serious. They've never crossed his lips. He has never eaten unclean animals. He has been a good uh, Jewish son of God. And he's like, no, Lord. Unclean, I'll not do it. And three times and then that goes back up the third time and the vision's over and he's kind of sitting there I wouldn't say confused but perplexed and he's thinking about it and he's like what just happened what's he trying to say to me what's going on and before he even really gets to a resolution then the Holy Spirit speaks to him and he says hey there are, I think I've got this there we go uh, verse 19 while Peter thought about division he's like what in the world just happened The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Is that vague or specific? That is all kinds of specific. What's he saying to him? He didn't just say, hey, by the way, there's a couple guys at the door. And he didn't say there's two guys at the door. He didn't say there's four guys at the door. Very specific. He said, Now, Peter, there's three men at the door, and I need you to go with them, doubting nothing. Why do you say that? Because come to find out, those three men at the door were Gentiles. And if you studied the old covenant at all, you know Jews kept their distance from Gentiles, wouldn't eat with them. And this was under law of Moses. I'm not saying they were. Arrogant or snobs. This was under the law of Moses. He commanded them to keep a separateness. He was teaching them something, and he was a good Jew. And if without the vision, without specific direction, if they'd have just come knocked on the door and said, "Hey, come with us," he wouldn't have gone. No, I don't. He wouldn't have been rude. I'm assuming, (laughs) you know, but he wouldn't have gone. So what's God doing? He is preparing him for something that he knows is going to be a big step. What did I say? He'll always set you up to win. So he's giving him extra. First, he gives him this vision three times of unclean saying, rise, kill, and eat. Turns out it's a, a picture. God is about to make a huge change in how he operates in the earth. He is about to expand his reach beyond the Jewish nation. And he's going to reach out to all the Gentiles of the planet. We, to my knowledge, most if not all of us Gentile, at least not Jew, looking back, we we missed how big of a deal that was. This was gigantic for Peter. And even after this event, there were still a few times he tripped. And he kind of fell back into old ways. If you remember the Apostle Paul called him on the carpet one time and said, Hey, you're showing favoritism. You're not treating the Gentiles the same as the Jews. And you're wrong. And he was. And he he admitted it. So this was hard for them. This was a big deal. But God gave him Big stuff, because he knew it was a big deal. So on top of the vision, then he says, you got three men, they're at the door, you are going to go with them, and you will doubt nothing. So Peter catches on. All right, Lord. And he went with three Gentiles, across to the home of the Gentiles, which at that time simply was not done. But it was because of the magnitude of what he was asking him to do. So Peter goes, and he shows up, and they tell him, An angel of the Lord spoke to us, told us to go get you so that you would come preach salvation to us. And he's kind of like, huh, all right. And so he said he preached. Whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. He preached Jesus to him. And they didn't wait for an altar call. When they heard him get up there and preach Jesus, and when they said whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins, right there in their hearts, they all must have said, we believe. And they're getting born again in the middle of the message. He didn't even get a chance to have an altar call. He didn't even get a chance to say, if anyone wants to receive Jesus, come down front and let me pray for you. Or could I get a show None of that. They're just, they're getting saved right there in their seats. And then what happens? He's not even preaching this way. Because, can I pause? Um, I've got it in my notes. It was in Acts chapter 8 when Philip the evangelist had gone down to Samaria. And what he had done was he had preached Christ. And he was getting people healed. He was seeing miracles. They had signs and wonders going on. And lots, thousands, literally thousands of people getting saved. But none of them baptized in the Holy Ghost. He was getting them born again. And so word got back to Jerusalem, and they're like, well, hold on. And I believe it was Peter and John they sent down to go preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And Peter and John got there, laid hands on them, and got them baptized in the Holy Ghost, they all start speaking in tongues. All right? That's what had happened in chapter 8, but now we're down here in chapter 10, and Peter's preaching salvation to these Gentiles. He's got to be a little nervous the whole time, because, like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, in their seats, with no involvement by him, the Lord starts baptizing them in the Holy Ghost, and they all start speaking in tongues. Why'd God choose to do it that way? Probably for Peter's benefit. This is just me thinking. Probably for Peter's benefit. Because what did Peter say? I think I've got this in here. Um it'll come back in a minute but basically what he said um he said the same thing that happened to us on the day of Pentecost happened to them if you go back to Acts chapter 2 they were not having an altar call to come get baptized in the Holy Ghost and nobody was laying hands on anybody in Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit just fell on them and they were all baptized they all came out speaking in tongues Same thing in Acts chapter 10. Right in front of Peter's eyes. And he's going, Oh, I've seen that before. I've been there. And so what did that do for him? He recognized, That's God. He needed that because of the magnitude of what was happening. Because they weren't Jews. And it was a big deal. So in this case, Peter needed a lot to get where God was trying to get him. So what did he give him? Lots of direction. Lots of big stuff to get him there. To keep him connected with what God was trying to do in his life. But now, then what happened? Now, I'm just going to hypothesize. I'm going to guess. This is kind of what I think happened. Kind of because people are like this. And you do see people like this in the Bible. So, and this is my guess. I do not have a verse for this. Someone in that room who was a good little Jewish boy who loved God dearly, but he knew they were supposed to be separate from Gentiles. He watched what happened. And my guess is, he left that room quietly and made a beeline to Jerusalem to make sure the, the elders knew what just happened. You're not going to believe what Peter just did. And let me be the one to tell you. Now, I don't know that that happened, but I could believe it if that's what happened. Because you've known people like that, Right? Even if he was good intentioned. Um, How about the Apostle Paul before he got born again? All right? So there are people like that. So then meanwhile, what's Peter do? Eventually, word gets to Jerusalem before he does. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, they're going, Peter, uh, we got to talk. We need you to explain to us what in the world did you just do at Cornelius' house? Uh, We need to hear this from you. And they got the tone. Because he's in trouble. What? They weren't Jews. So I want you to listen to his defense. Are you ready? Now, he is on trial. And he now has to explain himself. Because this was not done. So Acts chapter 11 now, down in verse 12. He's telling the elders. Alright, here's what happened. He says, then the Spirit told me to go with them." he's going kind to of let him know. The um, uh, Holy Spirit told me to do this. The Spirit told me to go with him, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. I got witnesses. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. Who said to him, more angelic stuff, isn't that interesting? Who said to him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So let that sink in. What's his defense? In a nutshell, Holy Spirit told me to do it. Don't be mad at me. Holy Spirit told me to do it. And here's what happened. Right? I think I think if, I don't think I read the whole thing. I think he told him about the vision too. And I had this vision and all these things, and then I'm trying to figure it out, and all of a sudden he speaks to me, and these men show up, and I go, and he's, But all of this is hinged on. Uh, Spirit told me to do it. Are you with me? Verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us in the beginning. What's he going back to? Acts chapter 2. Just like us. No one said, I didn't pray for him. I didn't touch him, I swear. I didn't lay hands on anybody. He just fell on him, just like he fell on us in the upper room. He said, the same thing. Are you seeing it? He said, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ who was I that I could withstand God that was his defense what's he saying Holy Spirit told me to do it who am I to stand in the way of what he wants to do are you with me Now, I do kind of want to point something out. How did they respond? Verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, "Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, that seems like a small sentence to us. That was huge coming out of their mouth. This was changing centuries of Jewish practice. Probably at least 2,000 years of Jewish practice changed in this event. So this is no small thing. But I also want to point something else out. It wasn't just Peter came in and played some kind of Holy Spirit trump card. He's like, well, I know I did what I did, but Holy Spirit told me to do it, so you can't say nothing. you got to leave me alone. Because, hey, God told me to do it. Leave me alone. It's not some magic trump card. What else was going on in that moment? Um, every one of those elders, were they were elders of the church for a reason. They had the same Holy Spirit in them that was in Peter that was now in Cornelius. (laughs) But same spirit. So while Peter is giving his defense, that same Holy Spirit is on the inside of each one of those elders giving confirmation. Yeah, he's telling the truth. Yep, that was me. Yep, he did what I wanted. Yep. What? Bearing witness of what Peter was saying. It wasn't just some magic trump card. Have you ever known people that do that? They do something wild and crazy, and they just say, "God told me to do it." Sorry, <laughs> you know, no, no, it's not like that. No, no, He's saying, "Holy Spirit led me to do this," and on the inside, the Holy Spirit is confirming in each of them. Yeah, He's right. It was me. Same Holy Spirit. Huge change from old covenant. This is where God was going with the new and better covenant. In the old covenant, He had to speak to them through the prophets, but what did He say? There's coming a day when I will walk with them and I will be in them. And what did Jesus say? And the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will guide you. He guided Peter. He guided the elders. He was guiding everyone who was listening, everyone who would follow. Are you with me? Hmm, I don't know where I'm at on time. Are we okay? <laughs> I, okay, you don't know either. All right, well, let's just keep going. <laughs> um... I will point this out. I'll go kind of fast through here, but since we're, I'm, I'm getting somewhere and I'll use this as the introduction. Acts chapter 13, I'm just moving forward in the book a little bit. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. What's that tell us? This was not a short meeting. You know, you can't decide at 9 o'clock in the morning, you don't think I'll fast today, and then by 11 o'clock say, all right, I'm done fasting. It doesn't work that way. In order to fast, you got to miss at least one meal. And so it's at least got to cross a meal period somehow. And so I'm thinking at a minimum, this is three, four, five hours. Because somewhere they had to miss a meal. All right, however you want to define that. And so they took some time to fast and pray. Why am I pointing that out? Because if you keep reading, then what happens is the Holy Spirit then speaks to them and gives them some very specific direction. But one thing I want to point out, it wasn't quick. Some people, and especially us today, we get in too much of a hurry. I've said this many times, we live in a fast food society. We want our food quick, If it takes too long, we get anxious and antsy and sometimes angry. Or what's the word we've coined? We get hangry. Because I'm hungry, and this is taking too long, now I'm angry. So I'm hangry. All right, because what? We want it now. And the problem is we begin to take that into our walk with God. We're like, God, I need something, and I need it now. And I don't need this to take long. And really bad if we get in our prayer closet that way we start going before the Lord and we expect Him to give us that direction and to answer our question and give us what we need. And let's go, i got things to do. I'm not saying you'd be that brazen with the Lord, but we sometimes have that attitude. And if I don't get the answer I need in in 30 minutes or less, well then I'll pick it up again tomorrow because i got things to do today. That's not the picture we see here. Now I'm not saying they did this every day, but there were times that they set aside to just minister to the Lord and miss a meal. Maybe two. A lot of people don't hear what they need from the Lord because they're in too much of a hurry. They don't take time to wait on Him and to spend some time with Him and to meditate on some things with Him. And I'm not pointing fingers at just you. Preachers do that too. We've all done that. I heard a statistic a while back. The average preacher in America spends less than 30 minutes a day in prayer. And that's the average. And I'm not pointing fingers. I've had days like that. Now, I've had days where I did much more than that. But I've had days where things get busy. But as a rule, that's not a good average. Not everything we need from God comes in 30 minutes or less. Sometimes we just got to push some things aside and make some time for Him and spend some time hearing from Him. That's what's going on here in Acts chapter 13. Verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They weren't planning that. I don't get the idea... That that was the agenda for the day. I, I don't read that and think they had decided, all right, let's get together. At, how about let's meet at 9. And then what we'll do is from 9 to 11, we'll just spend some time in prayer. And then from 11 to 12, uh, we'll just worship for a little while. All right, and then we're going to go ahead and skip lunch because we're going to fast. And then from 12 to 2, I think we'll go back into prayer. And then at 3 o'clock exactly, the Holy Ghost is going to speak because he wants to say something to us. I don't think it was like that. They just cleared the day and said, Lord, this is just our time with you and just begin to minister. And there came a point when the Holy Spirit said, all right, I need you to do something. All right, go get Barnabas and get Saul and set them aside. I need you to lay hands on them. I'm calling them to something and it's time to launch them. And so then what did they do after that? Then verse 3, then having fasted and prayed, what, after they laid hands... On Paul and Barnabas hey let's fast some more let's pray. that's another meal you can't just fast in 30 minutes it sure looks to me like they missed at least two meals that day just spending time before the Lord are you with me okay some of you aren't excited to be with me right now <laughs> that's alright my point is don't get in a hurry okay let me bring this toward a conclusion I'm headed down that path Acts chapter 16 Now, here we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And uh, verse 6, Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, wait a minute. Can that be right? What were they doing? They were on a missionary journey. They had been launched and sent by the church to go on a missionary journey to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Are there Gentiles in Asia? Not only that, what's the Bible say? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He did not say, go into all the world except Asia. I forbid you to go there. So couldn't... He or Paul have said, I got scripture, tells me to go to all the world, we're going to Asia, go preach the gospel. Right? No, what do you say? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the world in Asia. How do you reconcile that? I would say this. When Jesus gave the great commission, we call it, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He gave that Great Commission to the church as a whole. The corporate church. That was not an individual call. That was a corporate call. Now, everyone in the church, all of us, we own a piece of that. There's something in that call that is our part to play. Whether we're the ones that go to Africa, or whether we are the ones that write a check and send somebody else to Africa, or whether we are the ones that go out into our neighborhood or in our workplace, somewhere in that Great Commission is our peace. And it's individual to each of us. And we have a responsibility to do our peace. And if everybody does their peace, then we go to the whole world. And everybody hears. And we accomplish that Great Commission. But there are some pieces in that puzzle that aren't mine. I have my piece, you have your piece. Being in the same church, our pieces may overlap, our pieces may connect. We may be helping each other. But there are other churches and other people that have other pieces. And some of those pieces are not mine. In this moment, that piece wasn't his. He was supposed to turn left, not right. Or I didn't look at a map, I don't know how that plays out. But Asia is not where he was supposed to go in that moment. It was time to go somewhere else. Are you, are you seeing? So even though he had general direction in Scripture, go to all the world, he had specific direction in that moment, not there. Go over here. Are you with me? It's direction by the Holy Ghost. The Word gives us general direction that applies to all of us. But the Holy Spirit will give you specific direction that applies to you. And we should expect that. Hmm. One last example. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 22. This was toward the end of the book of Acts. This is the Apostle Paul in that final stretch where he's determined to get back to Jerusalem. And all along the way, everyone's warning him, don't go, don't do it. Bad things are waiting for you in Jerusalem. Verse 22, Paul says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Now, that's a, I don't want to say a double-edged sword, but there's more than one side to that. On one hand, he knew his ministry was going to have some speed bumps. He knew before he ever started that it was going to be a rough ministry. And you go back to the book of Acts, when he was on his way to Damascus, and he saw the light from heaven, and all of a sudden now he couldn't see anything, and they had to lead him by the hand on into Damascus. Meanwhile, an angel appears to Ananias, is it Ananias? Ananias? Who was not anything, he was just a disciple. He was not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, none of the above, but an angel appears to him and starts telling him, Hey, I need you to go lay hands on this guy named Paul and uh you're going to get get his sight back and you're going to get him, you know, baptized in the Holy Ghost, all this stuff going on. He freaks out going, "I've heard about him. I uh, got someone else you can send. <laughs> he kills Christians. I don't want to go." <laughs> all right. Remember that account? He tells Ananias, he says, "No, he's been called by my name and I'm going to tell him the things that wait for him." I'm paraphrasing. We'll have to go look it up. But he told Ananias then, I'm going to show him the things that are coming for him because uh he needs to be prepared. Well, there's not going to be a normal ministry. He's going to have a lot of speed bumps and he needs to know it. So in a broad sense, he knew a lot of things were coming. But that doesn't mean he knew every detail. And in this case, he knew something was waiting in Jerusalem but he didn't necessarily know how it was going to play out. But what did he say? I'm bound in the Spirit. What's he saying? I'm being led. And I don't have a choice. I know I'm supposed to go. And every town he stopped in to love on the Christians on his way to Jerusalem, they're saying, bad things waiting. And they were right. They were picking up on things in the Spirit. They were picking up on things in prayer. In one of the towns that was the prophet Agabus... I did not look this up. It was Agabus that walked in and took Paul's like belt and tied his own hands and said, the man who owns this belt is going to be tied like this when he gets to Jerusalem. And he was right. But then all of them tried to put their own interpretation on it because they loved Paul and said, don't go. But what did he say? He says, why are you doing this to me? I have to go. I know bad things are waiting, but I'm bound in the spirit. So that poor guy in his journey, he knows I gotta go. I know bad things are waiting. I'm not sure what they all are, but I know, but I gotta go. And every town he stops in, they're trying to talk him out of it. Don't go, don't go. And he's like, what are you doing to me? So he goes, and a mob gets raised, and he gets arrested. And you remember the account? He, and he appeals to Caesar. I mean he ran right up right up the whole Roman government chain because he was a citizen. And so next thing he knows, he's got a one-way ticket to Rome, right? All of this just because he's bound in the spirit. I know I'm supposed to go, not quite sure what it's going to look like, but I know I got to go. After all that happened, after he obeyed, after he made it all the way to Jerusalem, After he survived the mob, after he got arrested, after he stood before the local Roman governor and started working his way up the ladder, after all that, Jesus appears to him. Not before. After. Do I have that verse? I don't think I do. But Jesus appears to him and basically says... um, I've called you to do this because I need the same gospel you preached to all these other places. I need you to go preach it in Rome. I need you to go preach it to the Roman government. And if you study, he did. And he did his hit one. He was hitting Roman leaders all the way to Jerusalem. And then he preached the gospel in in, in Jerusalem, in Rome, when he got there. But it wasn't until after he obeyed. It wasn't until after he went through all that stuff. Then Jesus appears and says, Yep, you did it right. Good job. Here's where you're going and here's what you're doing. Are you seeing that? All of this pictures of being led by the Holy Spirit. What if Paul were led by circumstances? He would have been just like all those other Christians that tried to talk him out of it. He would have looked at the circumstances of bad things in front of me and he would have decided better not go. We need to understand that. There'll be times in our life where maybe there is a mountain in front of us and we can't assume what God's direction is going to be. There may be times he says, mountain here, better go that way. There may be a next time you come up to mountain, he's going to say, start climbing a the mountain. And there may be another time you come to a mountain and this time he says, speak to that mountain and make it move cast it into the sea. We can't assume in any situation that we know what He needs us to do. What do we do? We seek Him. Get the specific guidance for that situation that we need so that we can do what He wants us to do in that moment. Always trusting Him. Always being led by Him. We need the leading of the Holy Spirit in every situation. His leading will always be as specific as we need it to be in order to obey Him and be successful. Because God will always set us up to win. Amen. Amen. Well, you can stand to your feet. We'll get more into the mechanics, but I'm painting a picture here of what it looks like scripturally to be led by Him. Now, don't go home today thinking, well, I better see an angel by the end of the day. Also understand, many times in the book of Acts, you cross a chapter and you just jump ten years, for one thing. And also, we may see like Ananias. Did he see an angel? Yes. One time in his whole life. We would have to add to Scripture to ever say he saw an angel a second time, or that anything else like that happened again. Can it happen? Yes. Is it every day? No. No. And for many Christians? Go their whole life and no. But that doesn't mean it can't. So, we'll just trust Him. Amen.